0: Standing. Well good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Thank you, honey. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. She's the only one that's awake and you know, come, come on. Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Thank you. That's a little bit better. We're getting there. We're getting there. We have we have a cure. Make coffee in the middle of the service. if you do, I'll take the French vanilla, just bring it up here. Um, and you want to share. But no, I'm just kidding. Hey, um, I'm so <laughs> glad you're here. Sorry, it has been a random week. It has just been an insane week with all this stuff. Um, just to kind of let you know what's happening with us, so you can be praying for us. You know, we have this whole thing that's going on at the church. Um, Sherry and I finally, hopefully, get a closing date after so many years to be able to buy a house um, in there, And so we're waiting for that, and we keep going back and forth and arguing with them. At the same point, we're trying to like, figure out how do we move out. My youngest daughter showed up in the middle of the week, and she's like... I'm the center of the universe, and so we had to give her a lot of attention and her dog and all this other stuff. And so it's been a crazy, crazy week, and at work they're making us train like every single person I think that actually ever worked for Universal right now. And, and not all of them are that agreeable all the time. So it's just been an insane week. So if you're like me, like I said, there may be a lot of stuff going on. I just want to encourage you just for the next 30 minutes or so, let's just drop that because I believe all my heart that every time we show up together that God has something for us it's just so many times we get so busy we get so wrapped up in our world and all the other loud voices that are calling for our attention that we miss it so much because God's not going to stand up and shout at you God's not going to come up and scream at you God is going to be that small still voice that says just take a breath And Listen, and that's really what we've been talking about this whole idea about being established because I just really believe that we've made a lot of our faith about a religious transaction that it's about the things I do. And if I do this, then this will happen and I'll be loved more and I'll be liked more and more good stuff will happen to me and all this stuff. But the truth is, is our faith is a relational transaction. It is not. There is nothing else that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And we have to understand that. And over the next couple of weeks, we're starting a whole new series next week, really talking about what's it mean to be loved by God and to love God. And so I'm very excited about that. But I want to wrap this one up that we've talked about. The very first thing about being established and rooted in our faith is knowing God. It's just knowing him in a relational aspect in, in that talking to him and having sharing that time with him and, and doing us to understand how much we're loved and how much because of that we love him. And then we talked about listening to God, about hearing him in our hearts, hearing him, his voice speak to us, because I believe all my heart, God still speaks to us. Now, it may not be a burning bush. It may not be a mule or something, but God talks to us through his word, through other people, through circumstances and stuff. And then last week, we just talked about how do we talk to God? And how we pray? So taking all of that, what does that look like now, living it out? And so this morning, we want to talk about serving God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. As I said in the beginning of this, listen, I've got a lot of opinion. I, I read a lot of commentaries. I read all kinds of stuff. All those words mean nothing compared to these. I, I just believe that in my heart. This is the only reason I get to preach every Sunday. This is the authority. This is the only reason I get... To get up here and speak. And so if you don't hear anything else. My heart, my prayer is that these are the words that change lives. I'm reminded every week that Jesus said all of this will go away. But my word will remain forever. And so this is powerful. And so I don't. this may not be your tradition. It may be a little bit awkward. But out of acknowledgement for that. And out of just respect of how powerful these words are. I'm going to ask you if you'll just stand with me. As we read in John chapter 13. Starting at verse 12. It says when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. God, I just thank you this morning again, just for the opportunity to gather as your people in your presence. And I am humbled every Sunday by the fact that you don't need me to preach that you don't need us to sing, but you invite us all the time just right up into your throne room into your presence God I thank you that we don't have to beg or plead for you to join us that you were here long before we woke up this morning and so God the prayer is simple once again this Sunday move me out of the way God let these words be your words not mine God use them to penetrate hearts God to encourage to challenge but most of all to change God, that we would leave this place different than what we came in because we were in your presence. Overwhelm us today with your grace, with your love. God, and may we have the courage and the boldness to live it outside these walls. Father, I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts to respond. But I pray mostly that you get all the credit and all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the American dream. American dream, it's a great dream. It's idea. You know this idea. You know, we are founded on this idea that anybody can come here. You can you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can make something of yourself and everything that it's about climbing that ladder of being more successful. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this because you know one of the goals of everything, own your own home, you know, be your own boss and all stuff. Well, I found an interesting story. In nineteen twenties, there was a young Michigan farmer. He was a teenager and his he was expected to take over the farm. Like that, that was the thing, you kind of took over the family business, you took over the family farm. Except for him, he loved building stuff. He loved engineering things and everything, and so he, he liked that stuff. And so he was always creating something. So in about 1927, he developed a new type of furniture. Back in those days, it was kind of just wood. it just sat there, it didn't do anything. They didn't have wheels, nothing fancy, no cup holders, so, so. he developed an entire new type of furniture. He actually had a chair that would recline back as you sit in it. And then a little bit later on, he figured out I could put a handle on it, and I could kick out a footrest. And so he went around and started going to these furniture stores saying, "Hey, would you buy this? Would you sell these?" And all stuff. And people fell in love with this chair. And so him and his cousin ran a company. In fact, in 1907, it went public. And they did a a survey to say, what are we going to name this? What do you think it is? Any guess? Lazy Lazy Boy. Lazy Boy was born. Lazy Boy averages $1.5 billion in sales every year right now. It's huge. It's great. And so... um, Edwin Shoemaker was the founder and the creator of The Recliner, every man's hero. <laughs> That's my chair. I need a recliner. Edwin Shoemaker, he created this, and, and he loved it. When he was asked, you know, hey, what do you think about what you did? And he's like, you know, I did all right. I don't know. One point, what did I say? 1.5 billion? Yeah, I'm doing all right <laughs> per year. In fact, in 1998, Edward Shoemaker, at the age of 90, came home. He sat in his recliner, popped the seat, popped the leg open, and he passed away. The epitome of the American dream, isn't it? This idea that man, I could, I could go, and I can make something of myself, and I can climb that corporate ladder and all this stuff, and I can do that. And we believe that. And I, Listen, I'm not knocking success. I'm not knocking that you work hard, you try to become the boss, you try to move up in your company or whatever you're doing. I'm not knocking that. But what I'm going to say is that Jesus, in these passages that we're studying, kind of takes that and turns it all upside down. That I think we have changed the American dream for what the gospel really is supposed to be. That it's about climbing the corporate ladder. It's about getting more and getting more stuff and being more powerful and more p- and, and all this other stuff that I can do when Jesus is going to take this and he's going to turn it all upside down. In fact, it's a common thing in Matthew twenty twenty six, Jesus says it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, we have probably all have heard that before we said, yeah, so, you know, I'm supposed to serve and, and do all this stuff. But Jesus literally takes this idea that instead of working from the top, that I'm at the top, and then there's everyone at the bottom, he takes that entire system and he turns it upside down. And this is how we're supposed to live. And you sit there and we're like, wow, we've heard that before and everything. And, yeah, that's really good. But this was radical in Jesus' time. Because let me tell you, I just, if you didn't know, the American dream is not something new. The idea that I can build myself up and I can get and everything that, you know, as I climb that ladder, I have more success, I have more wealth, I have all that stuff. It's not something new. In fact, it was in the Roman times. It was called the Roman dream. (laughs) And it was the same thing. But the Romans worked on a class system. And here's how it was broken down. You had Caesar. He was called the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's literally his title. One guy over it all. Top of the pyramid right under him you had the senate which was 600 men who wanted to be caesar (laughs) right under them you had the equestrian class and in there in that class there was a group of people called the decurions and what they were, they were wealthy landowners. And so basically, you could buy yourself into that. You could climb the corporate ladder. You could move up that step to get more power and everything. If you got money, you had wealth and everything, you were able to buy lands and gather more lands. And so you got to move up into that class. 100% of all the power in Rome rested on those people. That little tiny percentage, Caesar, Senate, and the equestrian class. That, all the power rested there. Under them, there was the common citizen, just the common Roman citizen. They they could hopefully make some more money. They could move up in that, but usually they were just kind of sitting there. Under them were the freedmen. That was the people that were slaves or something, but had earned their freedom, paid back whatever debt they had, and that. And then the very bottom of it was the servant. This was culture at that time. And so Jesus all of a sudden gets up and starts talking about it. If you want to be great, you have to serve them all. People are like, oh my goodness, he did not say that. That's the stupidest thing. No, that's not how it works and everything. But isn't it interesting? God's economy, God's way of thinking is usually always the opposite of ours. (laughs) Always the opposite of ours. Look at John 13. Let's back up a little bit and see exactly what's going on right here. Let's look at the first five verses, it says before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? He loved them to the end. There was never a moment that he didn't love them all the way through continuing on to the end of eternity. Jesus loves us. Does eternity end? Isn't that good news? Verse two, now it was time for supper. The devil had already put in the heart of Judas, Simon Skerritt, son to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given him everything into his hand and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples feet and to dry them with a tie, the towel tied around him. And there is so much in these little five verses. There's so much happening right here, and there's a lot, and I want to break it down for you. First of all, we look at it. It's the Passover festival. Jesus knows what's coming. This is the last Passover Jesus would celebrate on the planet Earth. He knows that the cross is coming. He is sure that this is happening. The culmination of his life, of his ministry, and everything was headed to that cross. He knew he was coming to die. For our sins, for our mistakes, for all our, for our breaking God saying, I'm going to do it my way instead of your way, God, for that redemption of the whole planet. He knew that was coming and he knew what that was going to look like. And it was all heading to that. But if you look at that, it says also that Jesus knew the father had given him everything into his hands, which means in the translation, God had said, you now have authority over it all. Which means all those people we talked about in the upper class, the Caesar, the Senate, the equestrian class, all those rich and powerful. Jesus is over all of them. Caesar may have called himself king of kings, lord of lords. Jesus was the king of kings, the lord of lords. There's none higher, none more powerful, none more worthy. It is Jesus. He has it all, and he's in charge of it all. He's in control of it all. Next time you get worried about an election, remember who's in charge. There's not one person put in power on this planet that God doesn't allow that to happen. And we can trust his purposes. We can trust his promises. We can trust that he's going to do that. Jesus was the head over all of that. And look at what he does. He does the most radical thing that you can think of. Let me ask you. Donald Trump shows up at your house. You get home and he's at your house and he's like, Hey, I'm going to clean your gutters. <laughs> Does anybody think in their right mind that that's actually going to happen? <laughs> hey, I'm actually, let's make it actually more of what this is. I'm, I'm going to clean your toilet. You know? I'm waiting for one of my congressmen to show up. It's like, I hear you have plumbing difficulties. Let me say it's not going to happen. It's not the way we think about power and prestige and all that. And here is Jesus, the Lord and King of all of them, decides to do the most radical thing and serve those underneath him. And look at what else happens. Who did Jesus serve? Who was in that room? Think about some of the people in the room. Judas, who had already decided to betray, do you think Jesus sat there and said, "Okay, John, okay, Matthew, I'm not doing you, man. (laughs) I know what you're." Do you think? No, he washed Judas's feet, the one that would betray him. He washed Peter's feet, the one that in a few hours would deny ever knowing him. He washed Thomas's feet, that said, "Unless I see him, I'm not going to believe he's living." It. He didn't miss anybody. He served. them all. Isn't that awesome? So can I ask you, how dare we pick and choose who we will love and serve? If Jesus did that. I mean, I really, when well, this is such a beautiful picture about what's exactly about to happen on that cross. Think about it. Everybody wore sandals or they were barefoot. They walked on the roads, dusty roads. They're not paved. They're dirty, dusty. What else walks on the roads? (laughs) Animals. Listen, I'm a little bit country, a little bit redneck. When my my brother and I were young and we were at my grandma's house in the cow pasture and it was cold, we'd go from patty to patty to keep our feet warm. (laughs) It's disgusting, I know. But that's exactly what was going on here. Think about just the nastiness of people's feet. You know, I don't like anybody touching my feet. Like you guys that, like I want I want like the manicure and pedicure. I'm like, oh, don't don't touch me. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't understand how you guys can do that. But I mean, just think about. It. But not only that, just think how filthy that was. But that towel he was doing that he wrapped around. How filthy did that get? All the filth, all the gunk, all the junk came on Jesus. Isn't that a picture of what he did for us? Because Paul put it this way. Second Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of our junk. Everything. That we have ever done, thought, or said, Jesus put it on. This is the most perfect. Pur- I've, you know, I've read that passage over and over, but that has never struck me like that until this past week. As I was reading, like, oh my gosh, this is the picture of this. That he got right down into it. He got covered with it. So that I might become the righteousness of God. I might become the one that is right with God. I mean. It's, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. From here. And the truth is. Let me tell you guys. I just. If you don't hear anything else this morning. Let me tell you. this: Jesus is the one that does all the work. You can't save yourself. You don't even don't even try. It's not worth the effort because you'll just get frustrated. You're not going to save anybody else. That's why when I tell you like, hey, you need to go share the gospel. You need to share your story of what God's doing. Don't worry about what happens because that's all in God. Jesus does all the work. But the truth is, is we have to respond to it. There's one thing about knowing. About Jesus and what he's done, and there's a total difference about knowing him. And so we understand he took our sin. He did all this on the cross. He he took care of it all. He said it is finished. Tetelestoi. Paid in full. The debt's paid. And we look at all that and we're like, oh, that's awesome. But we have to do something about it. We have to respond. Look at Peter. How Peter responds down in verse 6. And he comes to Peter who asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter, just a few, just a chapter before looked at Jesus and said, you are Messiah, you are God in flesh, you are the promised one coming, you are the king of kings, you are the Lord's Lord, he proclaims all that. And here's Jesus kneeling at his feet, and Peter's like, you're going to wash my feet? In verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not realize, but after it, you'll understand. And again, Peter's like, you will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you... You have no part of me. You have no part with me. We need to understand that our Christian life, our Christian life begins at the point where we allow Jesus to serve us. Have you ever thought about that? We have to get to a point in our lives before if you, before we ever get deep and we start doing things for God, we have to get to a point that knows that I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do to correct my situation. There's no work I can do. Paul talks about you are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man boast. There's nothing. It is a gift from God. And so we have to actually get to the point, which is so difficult for us in this culture that says, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder for me to sit there like I can do nothing to fix my situation. But Jesus, you can do it all. We have to be at that point, and that's where it starts. But the good news is it doesn't end there. For so many people, they come up and they realize, like, okay, I need Jesus. Okay, forgive me, come into my life and everything. And we're like, okay, that's it. We call them the frozen chosen. <laughs> it's like a moment they got saved, they were cryogenically frozen. and Like, okay, when Jesus comes back, I'll start doing stuff. <laughs> It doesn't end there. It's just the beginning step of us just allowing Jesus to serve us. And then we move on from there because he calls us to serve him, right? And the best way to serve God is to serve others. What's the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything that you have. That is the great commandment, to love him. And the second part is like it, to love others as yourself. Jesus in this passage makes that connection, that intertwining of loving God and loving others. Which means, I love God by loving others. I serve God by serving others. I mean, think about this. We show our love for the invisible God By loving and serving the visible people around us. Again, it's not because we get a better. We get a better seat in heaven. We get a bigger house in heaven or God will love me more. We do this because we are so loved by him in the first place that he took all that, that Jesus became sin, that he took all that. And we know how much we're loved. The Bible says, I love God because he first loved me. I love him. And so this is an outflow. And so how do I show my love for God? I show it by loving other people. It's a natural outflow. If you are serving and loving other people just because it's going to get you some extra credit, you're going to burn out and you're going to quit. You can't do it. We love and serve because, man, we are loved and we've been served. That's, that's the picture. We show our love for an invisible God by loving and serving others. In fact, we were made for this. Look at this. There it is. Paul said in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship. I love that. The Greek word there is poema. I've told you this. It's one of my favorite verses. It means masterpiece. It means you are God's artwork. You are God's God's sonnet to the world. You are God's masterpiece to the world. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared ahead of time, ahead of time for us to do. This beautiful thing that Jesus does for us. That he comes and changes us completely. It's for a reason. So that we can love him. That we can know him. And because of that. We're going to show it by loving other people. Uh, look at verse 14. Listen to what Jesus said. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you all should do just as i have done for you he gives us this example we have too many people that say i know jesus i love jesus and don't look anything like him we have too many people that know the right things to do but don't do them Your faith has to be translated into the way I live. It should affect everything that we do. It should affect the way I talk. It should affect I do my job, the way I interact with my family, with my friends, everything. It has to go from just knowing to doing. He says, I've set you an example. Why? So that you'll go do this. That you will do just as I've done for you. That's what we're called to do. This is where our faith meets the road. That rubber, that meat gets on the bones. Listen, you want to become more like Jesus. Don't sit in a class. <clears throat> Don't read more books. Go out and live your faith out. And I guarantee you, day by day, you will grow more in your faith by doing more than you ever will by just studying and reading and doing all that other stuff. That's important. Do that. Read, study. But if you're not putting flesh on it, if you're not living it out and acting out, James says, I'll show you. You show me your faith without your I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because it's an outflow. I do things. Again, not for favor, but because I love God and he loves me. And why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I do this? I love, look at verse 17. For those of who kind of like, okay, so what's the benefit for me? Listen to this. He says, if you know these things, you are blessed. What? How? How? How are you blessed if you what? How about a little conviction there? (laughs) You are blessed if you what? You do them. Not again like, oh, I'm going to get something good. Like, oh, my paycheck got doubled because I served this week. That was fantastic. I got the lottery ticket. I got tickets to the game. I got the best parking spot because I served. That's not what we're talking about. The word blessed in the Bible usually means happy, but actually the way Jesus uses this is the word makarios, makarios. It's not just happy, it means satisfied. Down in the deepest part of your soul, it means to be satisfied. That you, if you would do what Christ has done for us, if we would serve, if we would love people as a reflection of our love for God, if we would do that, that something happens inside of us and we are satisfied. Have you ever, like, really been satisfied? Have you ever, like, had a meal and it was just, like, the best meal and you sat at the end of it and you didn't care how much you ate and you just went there like, oh, I could die now. That was so good. That's what he's talking about here. That when we serve other people, when we're doing this, man, we get that deep sense of satisfaction. But only when we're doing it. That's That's... That's what happens. See, because Jesus gave us a new command, didn't he? I gave you a new command in John thirteen thirty four. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. It's actually not a new command. It's just we forget that all the time. Love one another as I have loved you. Not as you want to love them, but as Jesus loved you. And what did he do? He sacrificed everything he served. He got down on his hands and knees and got in the muck and the junk and everything and was willing to serve everyone else that's what we are called to do that's what we are called to do listen i'm 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 almost done i just want you to hear something you can serve without loving no doubt you can serve your heart's content without loving anyone but i'm going to tell you you cannot love without serving Listen to what I'm saying. You can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. Think about it. We are loved by God, and we don't deserve it. My Bible says when we were still sinners, when we were still God's enemy, that Christ died for us. That when I had nothing to do with God and didn't want anything to do with it, Christ still died for me. We are loved without deserving it. And we are commanded to love that way to other people. Don't make them earn it. Because I'm going to tell you something, you didn't earn it. So many times in our churches, we're like, well, when they come to church and we start seeing them acting and dressing right away, then we're going to take care of it. And we're going to do all that. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it worked for us. We are commanded to love. To love is to serve and share. It's, true. it's to serve and share your faith, to share your life. Christian life is at its basic, learning to receive the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus and then giving it away to other people. That is the Christian life in a nutshell. That is what we're called and commanded to do. That is what we are set to do. We receive, we learn to receive his love, his grace, his mercy. And then we just give it away to everyone else. I love it. John Wesley put it this way. He says, one of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. is that beautiful? How do I serve God? How do I love God? I love others. I serve others. And I tell you, if you do that, your faith will grow so deep that there is not anybody or anything on this planet that will shake it again. There may be doubts. There may be trials. There may be tribulations. But as your faith grows deeper because you are living this out in flesh, I'm going to tell you, those roots start running deep. There's a tree behind my mom's house. They finally cut it down back. In the day, Hurricane Donna, way, way back in the day, came up, literally picked it up and set it down in between two palm trees. All the grandkids, all of us have grown up climbing up and down that tree. My kids have grown on it. But you know what? That tree never died because its roots, even though it picked it up and it knocked it down a little bit, its roots went way, way deep. Guys, that's the point of this. You want to live your life, you want to see God do something amazing in your life and in this community, those roots have to go Because storms are coming. I promise you that. Storms are coming. But the tree whose roots grow deep will weather any storm. We get that by knowing Him, by listening to Him, by talking to Him, and by serving others. Serving Him by serving others. Let's pray.